All right. Hi, Dr. Gregor. We have you on board. Thanks a lot for taking the time to speak with us. And um, Dr. Gregor is very amazing. He is um, a vegan MD, a vegan, and he founded nutritionfacts.org, which has a lot of videos, very useful videos on plant-based nutrition, which is really amazing. So thanks again for having, uh, for coming on board. And Happy to be here. Awesome. So number one, I just wanted to ask, can you summarize your background and your journey to a plant-based diet? Sure. I, it was my grandma, actually. I was just a little kid. Uh, my grandma got diagnosed with end-stage heart disease. Um, she already had a number of bypass operations and basically kind of run out of plumbing at that point. So she was sent home to die, uh, confined in a wheelchair, crushed chest pain. And then she heard on uh, 60 Minutes about this guy, Nathan Pritikin, who ran this lifestyle medicine clinic. Um, and she went to see him, and they wheeled her in, and she walked out. And uh, she, they put her on a plant-based diet, exercise, and she lived another 31 years to enjoy her six grandkids, including me. Um, uh, so she was diagnosed 65 and was able to hang on for a number of few decades, and uh, that's what inspired me to go into medicine. And that's what I thought all medicine was. Like, you know, you get really sick, you're in a wheelchair, you can't move, and then someone, like, lays hands and poof, all of a sudden you're walking around 10 miles a day. I mean, just, that, and that's, you know, little did I know later um, was that that's not how most medicine is practiced these days, and so that's why I really turned my attention towards practicing lifestyle medicine or, you know, using you know, kind of natural modalities to treat the cause of the disease rather than just treating the symptoms. And when did you discover the benefits of plant-based diets? Oh, well, so, well, I mean, so as a little kid, seeing my grandma all of a sudden uh, uh, miraculously get better, but uh, my own diet um, did change until 1990 when uh, uh, Dr. D. Ornish published his landmark, uh, you know, a lifestyle heart trial, mm -hmm. which proved for the first time kind of angiographic evidence, you could reverse heart disease, a number one killer, both men and women, without drugs, without surgery, just with a healthy plant-based diet and other healthy lifestyle behaviors. Mm -hmm. And it was published in the most prestigious medical journal in the world. And I was like, oh, okay, number one killer, this reverses number one killer, well, I'd eat like this. And so I've been eating a plant-based diet for 24 years now. Um, uh, and just kind of look around and be like, okay, it was published two decades ago. Why are people still dying from heart disease? Like, why have hundreds of thousands of people? We have the cure. We have the miracle cure. Yet hundreds of thousands of people continue to die unnecessarily. And so that has just uh, driven me harder to go out there and try to spread this life-saving information as far as I can. Okay, now, interesting, because when I speak to people, a lot of people think that moderation balance is key, and that it's actually healthy to have a balanced diet, quote-unquote, with meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. Ah, so, right. how does your research support otherwise? Well, I mean, moderation kills. I mean, so, I mean, that's what, that's, you're just describing the American diet. You have a little bit of this, you have a little, you eat a little bit of that, and you die of heart disease, number one killer. Or you die of cancer, number two killer. Or COPD or stroke, or on down the list, type 2 diabetes, hypertension. These are diseases that need not occur. But if you look at the populations where they don't occur, 
They don't eat moderation diets. They eat nearly strictly plant-based diets. If you look like rural Africa, rural China, these were eating, you know, a meat was, you know, like a holiday celebration kind of food. But the day-to-day -day food was centered around basically, you know, grains and vegetables. Um, and they did not get these chronic degenerative diseases that are laying waste to Americans. And so it's like, you know, if I had a smoking patient that came to me and said, eh, all right, one and a half packs a day, everything in moderation. No, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, if something's bad for you, you try to minimize it. If something's good for you, you try to maximize it. Like, in what other realm of, you know, I'm going to wear my seatbelt half the time. Let's, let's be moderate about it. I mean, every time, you, I mean, you know, I mean, if it's a health behavior, you do it. Or you try to do it, or I mean, or at least you acknowledge this the thing to be done if you really cared about your family's health. Sure. So now, what's your opinion about grass-fed meat and eggs, then? Um, but, uh, better than, you know, the conventional factory farm. Like, there's a study I profiled in one of my videos about comparing the effects of wild-caught meat to kind of supermarket meat. It was done in Australia, so they used kangaroo meat, which is kind of like the, the venison of, of Australia. And they found that the, the spike of inflammation one gets within hours mm -hmm. of eating conventional meat was less. They actually got less inflammation eating the kangaroo meat than the store-bought meat. Great! But, I mean, that's... Don't we want to eat food that doesn't cause any inflammation at all? In fact, most whole plant foods are anti-inflammatory. So better, sure. You know, but it's like, you know, a, a low-fat Twinkie or a low-tar cigarette. I mean, like, okay, low-fat Twinkies, are they better? Begrudgingly, yes, they're better. But it's not like I'm going to tell anyone to go out and eat it. Great. Um, we'll explore the um, role of inflammation in a little bit. So, you, t you know, with our diet, you know, there's a new field called nutrigenomics, well, a field. So, do you believe that it can really change our genetic predisposition? Well, I mean, it, it changes our epigenetics, and it changes genetic expression. So, it doesn't change the genes itself, but how the genes are expressed. So, for example, the heart cell, a cell in our heart, mm -hmm. has the exact same DNA complement as a brain cell and a muscle cell and a skin cell. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a second. A skin cell is totally different than a nerve cell. Mm -hmm. And why? It's because different genes are expressed. Mm -hmm. So we can dramatically change the expression of our genes and the health consequences thereof by, um, uh, by what we do with our diet and exercise and smoking and um, uh, so, for example, you know, the um, uh, Alzheimer's gene, uh, APOE4, for example, um, if you have uh, one copy, maybe doubles or triples the risk, you have two copies, maybe nine times the risk of getting Alzheimer's, the so-called Alzheimer's gene. But if you look around the world, the highest rates of the APOE4 variant are in Nigeria. They also have some of the lowest rates of Alzheimer's in the world. What's, what solves the paradox? All you have to do is know what APOE4 does. What is it? It's the principal cholesterol carrier in the brain. That's what the protein does. And so if your cholesterol is low enough, it doesn't matter what your genetic component is. And indeed, what they were, they were eating traditional plant-based diets, such low cholesterol, it did not matter. Um, and so no matter what 
bad genetic cards we've been dealt, mm -hmm. we can still kind of reshuffle the deck with diet. Interesting. Now, um, you talked about plant-based diet and inflammation. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? Sure. So if you look at, you know, any marker of inflammation, so for example, CRP levels, uh, um, C-reactive protein levels, it's kind of a rough indicator of the amount of inflammation one has in one's body. The more whole grains one eats, the lower C-reactive protein. In fact, in general, the more whole plant foods, the lower levels you get in C-reactive protein. There's a marker of inflammation. Inflammation plays a role um, in many of our chronic diseases, such as diabetes and atherosclerosis. Um, and so, in general, we want to eat anti-inflammatory, antioxidant foods. And that's describing plant foods. I mean, it's like the most uncontroversial statement in all nutrition is that fruits and vegetables are good for us. Well, what are fruits and vegetables, right? Fruit is the one part of the plant, mm -hmm. and vegetables is the rest of the plant. So there's stem vegetables like rhubarb, there's root vegetables like potatoes, there's leafy vegetables like kale, but I mean, it's, it, you're basically, the most uncontroversial statement in all nutrition is eat plants. And that's all people are saying. I, you know, it's surprising there's so much pushback. So now in terms of inflammation, um, you did mention that in one of your videos that we create DNA and muscle damage, uh, more oxidative stress and need more antioxidant rich foods when we exercise regularly. So sure. especially uh, for, for athletes, right? So can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so um, free radicals, which is what we're quenching with antioxidants, are created within our own bodies. Now, I mean, pollution and what we eat, and there's all sorts of things that create free radicals. But literally, uh, just uh, metabolizing glucose, which is, you know, the metabolizing blood sugar um, uh, to create energy to move our muscles, that process creates free radicals. Um, so just like, you know, burning fuel in a car produces exhaust, you know, burning fuel ourselves create, creates these byproducts in our muscles. And so we need the antioxidants to prevent this kind of oxidative stress that leads to essentially rusting of our bodies. That's what rust is, oxidation of metal. And so aging and many diseases can be thought of as the oxidation or rusting of our bodies. But, you know, um, uh, you know uh, how do you keep your fruit salad from turning brown, from oxidizing? You add lemon juice. What's lemon, lemon juice? Lemon juice has vitamin C. It's an antioxidant. It keeps things from oxidizing. It can do the same thing within our bodies. And so if you look at marathon runners, for example, and you take their white blood cells, you just draw a blood sample, look at their DNA in the white blood cells, about 10% of the, the DNA in about 10% of their uh, cells is damaged. This is like ultra marathoners, like serious endurance athletes. Um, and it, uh, that damage may last for as much as two weeks um, after the marathon. Um, and, uh, and the thought is because of this extreme oxidative stress by that, uh, by that event. Now, um, now part, of the, part of that, part of the, there's, kind of, there's uh, two types of antioxidants, and endogenous antioxidants and exogenous. Exogenous is the you know fruits and vegetables we eat. But we actually have antioxidant enzymes. We actually create antioxidants within our own body. Mm -hmm. So the thought is that part of the benefits of exercise is actually this oxidative stress causes the upregulation of antioxidants 
um, within our bodies. And so it's a good thing, like that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger kind of thought. Um, and so maybe the concern goes, eating lots of fruits and vegetables to quell that oxidant stress from exercise might not be a good thing. And indeed, that's the case with antioxidant supplements. So antioxidant supplements actually prevent that, uh, that beneficial effect mm -hmm. of exercise, that upregulation of antioxidant enzymes. Mm -hmm. um, so antioxidant supplements should not be taken. Mm -hmm. um, but whole foods, and I've tested, tested a number, whole plant foods have the opposite effect. They have the best of both worlds. They prevent the DNA damage. They prevent the, de the oxidant stress, but you still get that same boost in antioxidant enzymes and really to maximize um, the beneficial effects of exercise, we should eat lots of dark green leafy vegetables, the healthiest vegetables, and berries, the healthiest fruits. Now, um, what about people who, are, who eat meat, right? What types of vegetables or fruit that contain superpowers that you think can help them further prevent exercise-induced oxidative stress given the inflammation from meat as well as exercise? Well, so the best day we have is on um, uh, watercress, which is a particularly kind of spicy, cruciferous vegetable. Um, uh, and, uh, and it would be, it would be uh, uh, berries, berries or citrus for, um, uh, on the fruit side. But basically, Look, as many fruits and vegetables you can stuff in your face. So, you know, one says, you know, like, let's say, you know, uh, you know, broccoli is 15% healthier than cauliflower. But you really like cauliflower and not broccoli. So all you have to do is eat six florets of cauliflower instead of five florets of broccoli. You just made that 15%, right? I mean, so differences between fruits and vegetables might be such that you just you eat what you like. You know, I mean, that's what's sustainable, right? If, if you hate Brussels sprouts, you know, you're just not going to eat them every day for the rest of your life. You might eat them for a few days and kind of force them down. But, you know, the, you know it's not a diet. It's, I mean, the reason diets don't work by definition is because they're self-limited. You need to eat a way, eat and live in a way you can relive the rest of your life this way. And so you got to say, you know, what do I like to eat? What do I know? You know, what's convenient? You know, and kind of go through this. And so one needn't get all these kind of exotic berries into one's life necessarily. But if you have the choice, you have the means, you have the access, great! You should go out and eat as healthy as you possibly can. Great. Yes. Now, what about plant protein that you suggest, especially for athletes? Um, are there, uh, you know, what uh, would you recommend? And would you argue that these plant proteins are better than sources like whey and meat? Since you've had a video, the yeah. Best source of plant proteins, the plant protein superstar, yeah. is the legume kingdom, right? So that's beans, split peas, lentils, chickpeas. These are the healthiest sources. So whole food sources of protein are the healthiest sources. Mm -hmm. So I do not recommend people eat protein powders and protein supplements. I, mean, I think people are just being bulked by this multi-million, perhaps billion-dollar industry of uh, athletic supplements. I mean, there's really, I mean, you know, yes, you're getting your protein, but we're not deficient in protein. What we need 
is all these other wonderful nutrients where we aren't getting enough of this folate, we aren't getting enough potassium, we aren't getting enough fiber. It's not found in protein powders, but it's found in the food, in the plant foods that provide protein. So you got to think about the baggage that you want to come along with your food. Um, you know, food is a package deal. And so I encourage people to eat whole foods um, rather than just, you know, uh, isolating out of protein some. Now let's talk a little bit about nuts since you've had a lot of videos on it. Now you talked, you, you mentioned that nuts and fruit do not lead to the expected weight gain mm -hmm. um, in your studies. Can you elaborate on that? So does this mean that we can eat as much nuts and fruit as we want? Um, I would encourage people, well, I mean, when I say it doesn't lead to the expected weight gain, if you look at the calories in nuts, mm -hmm. um, you would expect that, for example, if all of a sudden you started eating a handful of nuts a day, mm -hmm. that, you know, you gain a couple pounds over a few months, just because they're really calorically fat-dense foods. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that doesn't happen. Um, and the question is why? I mean, why can you instruct people to add, in some cases, handfuls, plural of nuts to their daily diet and still not gain weight, in some cases even lose weight? And the reason, and so I go through all fascinating theories, and it comes out to be a number of things. Um, uh, probably the biggest thing is that they're just nuts are so satiating that you just naturally eat less of other foods during the day. So even though I didn't say cut down on any foods, I said just eat two handfuls of walnuts a day. I don't care what else you do. Just eating those two handfuls of walnuts, you're just like, ugh. And just throughout the day, your body naturally realizes how much calories it's getting. And she just cuts down on other food throughout the day. It also um, uh, boosts your metabolism. So walnuts may boost our metabolism by about 10%. So even just sleeping, we, we burn more calories um, after having eaten walnuts. There's a number of other effects. So if you're eating whole nuts, you actually, unless you're chewing really good or eating nut butter, a lot of fat actually just passes right through you. You just, just don't, um, you know, there's pieces of nuts that just don't get digested. And so you're actually not accounting for those calories. So there's a whole bunch of things that come together to suggest that one should not avoid nuts. In fact, nuts are really healthy. Um, so protect against cardiovascular disease. So I encourage people to eat a handful of nuts and seeds every day. Um, can you eat as many as you want? I don't know how many. It depends how many you want. <laughs> I mean, would I eat pounds of nuts? No, because it would, it, you know, it would crowd out all sorts of other healthy foods. You know, we need to eat, you know... But we need to center our diet around fruit, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts and seeds, mushrooms, herbs, spices. These are the healthiest foods. And as many as we can eat of them and the less of everything else, the better. And the same goes with fruit, right? More fruit, the better. Great. In fact, the number one, um, uh, the le so there's this global burden of disease study uh, funded by Bill Gates, done by the World Bank, largest study ever in the history of humankind on risk factors for disease. And in America, it's different in every country, but in the United States, the number one killer is not eating enough fruit, according to them. Oh, wow. Number one killer. So be I think number two was smoking, like not smoking. So, but like... It's more important to not to, to to eat fruit than it is to not smoke. I mean, that was crazy because they basically went through each of the diseases and found out which proportion could be prevented by eating more fruit. And you add them all up, you're like, whoa! Eat fruit. 
So I have a video coming out on that, I don't know, in a while. I queued it. It's queued up. Great. Um, now, there's a website that talked about how, um, you know, our body requires saturated fats, since we talked about fats, from animals, well, as well as plant sources, but uh, animal sources, and limit fruit and grain consumption to build testosterone. What's your take on that? Well, if it's on a website, it must be true. No. <laughs> Um, uh, no, so there is no, so the person just doesn't know basic biology. I mean, any, I mean, so there's no, um, requirement at all for saturated fat. None at all. Zero. You could be on a zero saturated fat diet and not only would you thrive, you'd actually do better. Um, so, um, because so our body can saturate fats. I mean, our body makes all the saturated fat we need. Our body makes all the cholesterol we need. Um, so we have zero daily requirement for cholesterol, zero requirement for saturated fat. Mm -hmm. And so when someone makes a statement like that, you have to question every as that just goes against basic biology. Mm -hmm. Then you just you, you throw everything else out because, I mean, if they don't even know basic biology, how can you listen to everything else they say? Now, maybe they get just wrong on one thing and write about everything else, but it's just like, and sure. don't eat fruits, don't eat whole grains. I mean, whole grain consumption is associated with decreased hypertension rates, decreased diabetes rates, mm -hmm. uh, fruit protects against stroke, protects against, I mean, it's like, yeah. wait, if you're suicidal, maybe, then you want to eat a lot of saturated fat and not a lot of fruit. I mean, but like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. That's, that's interesting to know. Now, let's talk about supplements. Um, we mentioned that earlier. You advocate taking B12 supplements, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, for vegans. Now, what other supplements do you think are worthwhile for vegans, as well as for meat eaters, to consider taking? Oh, depending on where they live and how much sun exposure they get, vitamin D. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we evolved running around uh, naked in equatorial Africa all day, and so that's just that's the level of vitamin D we're used to. We're never meant to live at this kind of latitude. Now, if you have white enough skin and you live at a reasonable latitude, um, uh, kind of uh, kind of Atlanta to LA or south in the northern hemisphere, then you can probably get all the vitamin D you need throughout the year, getting 15 minutes of midday sun on forearms and face. But if you're darker skinned or you live in the rest of the U.S., then during the winter months you're just not going to make ideal levels of vitamin D. So you need to, t and look, and if you're inside at a computer all day or in a cubicle or not getting midday sun, doesn't matter if you live in Hawaii or Phoenix, you're just not going to make any vitamin D. So you need to take it, uh, take a supplement. So I recommend um, 2,000 international units of vitamin D a day. Okay. Now, what supplements do you think that um, your audience, audience should um, be a little bit more concerned about buying or don't necessarily need to buy it? Basically everything else. I mean, because uh, every penny that we spend on, you know, multivitamin or something is a penny that we'd be spending on another bunch of kale or another pint of blueberries. Cool. I mean, there's just, you know... Now, look, I mean, there are certain conditions. So if you're an alcoholic, you may need a number of, you know, vitamin supplements. If, I mean, uh, if you're uh, pregnant, they have special needs. Uh, but, you know, unless there's a, a problem... You know, no one need take, you know, basically everything in the, you know, we should get our nutrients from the produce aisle, not the supplement aisle. So, in terms of prebiotic and probiotics, um, you know, and their prebiotic supplements, why do you prefer prebiotic to probiotic supplements? 
Okay, so, well, so the um, prebiotics are what feeds the good bacteria we have. Probiotics are the good bacteria. So presumably, so if we don't have symptoms of gastrointestinal distress, mm -hmm. such as chronic diarrhea or bloating, things like that, then you've got good bacteria doing their job, and so you just need to feed them. I and mean, that's what most people are. I mean, kind of the natural state, unless you're doing something funky like taking antibiotics or something, then you should have good bacteria, so you got to feed them. And feeding them is... The prebiotics just means essentially fiber and resistant starch. Mm -hmm. um, fiber, so fi our, our bacteria eat the fiber that we eat. That's the fuel for our bacteria. I mean, we have trillions and trillions. We have more bacterial cells in our body than human cells in our body. Um, in fact, the bulk of a stool is actually not undigested food. It's actually bacteria, literally. The by mass, if you looked at it, more than half is literally just bacteria. We are a bacteria-churning factory. They just keep dividing and dividing and dividing. I mean, and so no wonder they have such an important impact on our physiology. And so we have to feed them. We've got trillions and we got trillions of pets. You wouldn't come home from work and not feed the dog. Well, you shouldn't, you know. And so... Eat, so eating fiber and the resistant starches, these are starches that aren't digested in our small intestine and are found basically the same places um, uh, fiber is found, uh, legumes, as well as uh, raw meal and, and uh, I don't know, uh, cold whole wheat pasta and things like that. But basically, um, you know, fiber is found in all whole plant foods. So now, what about probiotics? Um, you know, if people were to buy them, um, how, you know, would you suggest them to purchase them? And how would you suggest them to select their supplement, uh, this probiotic supplement? So if they just had a course of antibiotics or something, where you wipe out the good bacteria in your gut, I think maybe a good idea to do a course of probiotic supplements. And how you do it, you get a mixed acidophilus product, and you buy it, you take it home, and you take a, two bowls of milk, whatever kind of milk you want, and open up a capsule and put it into one bowl and not the other bowl, and then you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and you pour both bowls in the sink, and they should look different. The one with the probiotics should be foamy and filmy and bubbly and gross. Yeah. Um, and if they both look the same, then the probiotic is dead. It only works if it's a lot. So you take it back to the store and you get money back. So you just got to test it. So otherwise, I mean, it may be in a fridge... A refrigerated section at the store, but maybe it's been sitting in a hot truck for a week. You have no idea. So you just got to test it um, before, uh, you know, to make sure it works. Great. Now, um, in terms of health foods in the community, um, you know, your research shows, you know, for certain foods like spirulina, like kombucha, like kimchi, you recommend against eating such foods. Um, why is that? And what other health foods should we be aware of? Um, well, so they've all had been associated with adverse effects. Now, so uh, some of these are rare. So, for example, in the kombucha, kombucha, there's just a few case reports of this life-threatening lactic acidosis where basically your body gets so acidic you kind of fall into a coma and then die if you don't get rapid therapy. It happens rarely, but, you know, why not eat something that it doesn't happen at all? It's like... 
you know, there's no lactic acidosis comas from broccoli ever. Not one ever reported. Okay, I'll stick to it. You know, I mean, you know, unless there was something that you couldn't find anywhere else, right? Then maybe you take the risk. But otherwise, why do it? So, um, you know, blue green algae has um, neurotoxins, spirulina has neurotoxic contaminants, um, uh, and uh, yeah, kimchi is interesting. You'd think kimchi would be really healthy, right? It's just, what, cabbage, uh, garlic. I mean, these are really healthy foods. And, but, um, uh, but they've been associated with higher, the people that eat kimchi, um, uh, Korean researchers found people eat kimchi have higher rates of certain cancers. And the question is why? We're not sure. It may be because of... Um, uh, the inflammatory effect of actually the, 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 what we would assume would be healthy, these, these probiotic uh, lactobacillus, it's possible that um, uh, even when cooked dead, um, they uh, could uh, kind of trigger inflammation, get uh, these so-called um, endotoxins, which are part of the bacterial cell walls could, uh, under some circumstances, get absorbed into the system and trigger this inflammation. The body's thinking, ah, bacteria! Um, and uh, cause an adverse effect. We really don't know. But until studies start showing that kimchi is associated with less cancer, or at least no more extra cancer, it's probably not a good thing to eat. Great. Uh, are there any other health foods we should be aware of that you have not published? Um, I did something on star fruit, saying it was a little high in oxalic acid. Uh, what else do I have? I um, it's a bunch of supplements that had adverse effects too. But in terms of whole plant foods, very few I can think of. What about say, um, you know, the nightshades um, like eggplants? What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, about one in twenty people with joint pain improve removing nightshades from their uh, from their diet. So you know, tomatoes, eggplant, bell peppers. <laughs> Um, but for the other 19 out of 20, even with joint pain, it doesn't do anything for them. So for the vast majority of people, nightshades are fine. But look, if not eating nightshades makes you feel better, don't eat nightshades. I mean, no doctor can tell you more than your own body can tell you. So fine, you know. I was kind of like the gluten issue. There are rare individuals that have gluten problems. For them, you stay away from gluten. But that doesn't mean gluten is bad for everybody. Someone has a peanut allergy and they die from eating peanuts. Doesn't mean everybody dies from eating peanuts. You know, I mean, it's just you know. So now, just listening to um, the topic of soy, you do advocate soy in your videos. And correct me if I'm wrong. Now, what about authorities that associate soy with diseases like this, such as uh, infertility and breast cancer? Can you elaborate on that and your your take on that? Well, I would certainly question the title of authority. If someone, so there's been, you know, we didn't know, um, uh, there was contradictory laboratory animal data uh, on breast cancer and soy up to 2009. And so it depended whether it was a hamster or a rat, it depended what happened, whether it got better or worse. But we had no idea until 2009, when the first human study finally had cancer survivors split up into two groups, half eat soy, half don't eat soy, what happened? And what happens is that the women that eat soy live longer, have lower relapse rates. Right? So soy is beneficial for breast cancer survivors. There has been a, a total of four such studies done on breast cancer survivors to date, starting in 2009, and every single one, four out of four, show benefits. And so that's it. I mean, there, there's... 
There's only been four studies. They've all shown the same thing. So anyone who suggests that soy is bad for breast cancer is either living before 2009, hasn't checked the literature in the last five years, or doesn't believe the scientific method, or who knows. But that's, that's what this... It's not even the balance of science. That's all the science we have, all points in one direction with breast cancer. Um, now, what about uh, commercially produced um, as well as GMO soy? Do you, is, does your view, is your view going to be different? Or does well, I mean, mostly, I mean, almost all GMO soy is just animal feed. And that's where GMO soy and corn go, is to feed livestock. Um, uh, but uh, if you don't want to get uh, GMO, you buy organic. So, organic soy, by definition, by the 2002 USDA organic standards, can't have any GMOs. Okay. Now, lastly, um, in terms of enzymes in foods, right, um, I was a little bit confused when I um, saw the statement. You said, you'll hear folks in raw food community waxing poetic about enzymes, the importance of preserving the activities of plant enzymes, which are destroyed by cooking. Skeptics, on the other hand, Indignantly assert that we have no use for plant enzymes since we are animals and that we make all the enzymes we need. Well, both sides are wrong. That's what you said. Um, why is that? Well, you can watch the video. No, um, uh, no so I have lots of fat. I mean, it's a fascinating story. Um, and I love that both sides are so wrong um, because that just means there's a whole, you know, wonderful area to explore. Um, right for a lot of humor, a lot of playfulness, and so I, in fact, I just did a new video, uh, maybe last week, called mm -hmm. A Second Strategy for Cooking Broccoli, mm -hmm. um, where I talk about the a whole new spin on the whole enzyme issue. So it turns out that um, there in only two cases that we know of, do plant enzymes have any kind of beneficial effects. And one is the enzyme that kind of activates the um, so-called active ingredient in alien vegetables like garlic. And the other one is the one that activates the so-called active ingredient in cruciferous vegetables, cabbage family vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, collards, mm -hmm. etc. Um, and so... Um, it's, um, so if you take broccoli and you throw it in a pot of boiling water without chopping it up first, all the enzymes that create, um, it's kind of like a, one of those chemical flare reactions where two chemicals mix and create light. Well, same thing happens in broccoli where there's uh, two cell components that are separated. One is an enzyme, one is what the enzyme uses to create this wonderful, miraculous substance called sulforaphane, which is associated with lower breast cancer rates and all sorts of other wonderful things. Um, but those two chemicals don't mix unless the plant is chopped or chewed. But if you don't chop or chew and just throw it in uh, boiling water when you're making broccoli soup or something, then uh, the enzyme is destroyed, and so all you have is this precursor, which doesn't do you any good. Um, but if you chop the broccoli, and so then normally when you make broccoli soup, then you cook the broccoli, then you put it in a blender. But if you do it the other way, we put raw broccoli in a blender, you blend it first, you break the cells open, the enzyme mixes with the precursor, and you get all this wonderful product that you want, and the product is 
then resistant to heat. So you can cook it all you want after you've chopped it and waited 40 minutes um, because who needs the enzyme anymore? It's done its job. Um, and so then you can cook the soup and you're fine. So that's so enzymes create um, these phytonutrients into these two cases, um, garlic and the broccoli family of vegetables. The enzymes create um, uh, phytochemical products that have beneficial effects. They're destroyed by cooking, but we can get the benefits of raw by eating, um, by eating cooked by just pre-chopping, waiting 40 minutes for the enzyme to do its, have its effect, then we can cook it all we want. The second strategy, this new video I just came up with, um, so just look, why not just add the enzyme directly? We can do that with mustard powder. Mustard greens are cruciferous vegetable. Mustard greens come from mustard seeds. And mustard seeds, powdered up, are called mustard powder. And so that basically is just getting a jar of morosinase, a jar of active enzymes, cruciferous family enzymes. And so you can cook the broccoli all you want, even without pre-chopping. You just take it out and you sprinkle a little raw um, uh, mustard powder on top. And it activates all those, and, it, and, and the precursor is still there. The enzyme's just dead. But you add the enzyme, and all the uh, sulforaphane you want is made. And so then you don't have to pre-chop to get all the benefits. Or you can just eat raw, and then poof, you got them right there. Okay, great. Because I, I was a little bit confused, because another video that I saw, you said that our body makes all the enzymes we need to function from the protein we eat, and cooking actually renders proteins more digestible. Um, so... If you don't mind elaborating on that, that'll be great. Yeah, so um, so enzymes are proteins. We make all the, and so we make our enzymes with um, amino acids, which are all proteins are made out of. Where do we get these amino acids? From the food we eat. So basically, you know, we eat uh, kidney bean, mm -hmm. and we chop up the kidney bean proteins into amino acids, and then we build all the, the digestive enzymes, all the enzymes we need in our body. And so we don't need to take in enzymes themselves um, to function. If we, when we eat enzymes, what we do is we chop the enzyme up into little amino acids, and then we build our own enzymes out of them. Um, uh, so, uh, and, you know, the other, there's a number of cases in which cooking enhances the bioavailability of certain nutrients. It's not what we eat, it's what we absorb. So you get three times as much uh, lycopene and red pigment in cooked tomatoes and raw tomatoes, more uh, beta carotene in cooked carrots and raw carrots. Um, but basically, eat carrots however you want to eat them, right? Sure. I mean, eat broccoli. You like raw broccoli? Eat raw broccoli. You like cooked broccoli? Eat raw broccoli. I just want to see people stuffing their faces with fruits and vegetables. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Happy to help out.